to Check Your Beer, a podcast about quality control in your brewery. We're your hosts, Amy Todd, owner of Zymology Labs, and Julie Smith, lab manager at Lawson's Finest Liquids. Hey everyone, welcome back to Check Your Beer, where Julie and I talk about quality control in the beer world. Today, we are going to be talking about what free things you can do to get going on your quality program, Um, some things that you might already be doing, but hopefully you get some some new tips, some things to to start doing. We'll go over some document control, data analysis, all that fun stuff. So some of these things uh, you're probably already doing, Um, maybe you just don't think of it as being part of a quality control program, such as taking gravities, pH, those are definitely important to quality control program, but we're going to go a little bit beyond that today. So one of the really big things for a quality program is document control. Um, so not just having SOPs, standard operating procedures and recipes in place, but also taking notes and recording all your information. I heard a quote one time that said that it's not science if you don't write it down. So write it down and feel accomplished that you're doing science. Right, and you're already starting out probably with a recipe sheet next to you um, and hopefully a brew sheet to just track track those basics. But we want to go into that and expand a little bit on it. Yeah, so on your brew sheets, um, make sure you are recording lot numbers. So all of your ingredients get in the habit of writing down those lot numbers you know, even if it's maybe you've got a year supply of Cascade hops, write down that lot every time on your, your bat sheet. You know, it'll be the the one time that you don't feel like writing it down that it's like actually a different lot or, or something. Maybe they snuck one in you. You know, there's, you know, we, we do what we can to control the brewing process, but there are some things that are out of our control and some some of those things have to do with our suppliers. They might not have consistent product or, you know, maybe your suppliers have a recall and you are going to want to know exactly which beers those ingredients went into. So if you needed to in turn do a recall because of, you know, whatever might have happened with your supplier, you're going to want to be able to trace that. And then, you know, if there's any liability issues, you know, if if you want to go to the supplier or, you know, whatever it may be, having that data, having things written down are definitely going to help you out there. Uh, also helpful for troubleshooting. So, you know, you might notice uh, extract efficiency being low in a couple batches. And then you also notice that those happen to all come from the same lot of malt. Um, you know, but everything else is as expected um, from a different lot. So, you know, sometimes troubleshooting can be really complicated and time consuming. If you if you don't record those lots, you know, you wouldn't have been able to make that connection. So you could be looking, you know, in all these different places trying to figure it out. Whereas if you just had those lot numbers written down, you know, it would, you know, probably be a pretty clear connection. And I'm not trying to hate on monsters. They do a wonderful job and I'm sure have very consistent product most of the time. But, you know, things happen. 
Right. There's there's agricultural variations if you're using smaller suppliers. Um, and even with hops, your alpha acids are going to be changing. And if you don't have those contracts locked in and you're buying hops um, from other breweries or other suppliers, those lot numbers are going to be super critical because those alpha acids are going to bounce around a lot more rather than if you're just buying a bulk contract from one supplier. We don't all get to go do hop selection. <laughs> Sometimes we just get, you know, what they give us. And sometimes we have to fight to find what we need. Right. You also, you know, not just writing down lots of your ingredients, but um, you should be recording batch numbers for all of your beers. So every beer should have a unique um, batch code so that you can, you know, trace back all this stuff and have some way of recording that batch and packaging date on your can or your bottle or your keg. Um, well, I guess we'll talk a little bit later about having a beer library and consumer complaints and stuff. But if you know you ever did realize after a product was out in the market that you had an issue with it and you needed to recall some of it, you would want to know, you know, exactly what, you know, if you have like seven of the same beer out but you only have a problem with or you know maybe you just have like high do's from like an hour throughout your your canning day you know you can segregate that one hour based on if you have times on your your beer and you don't have to recall the whole batch of beer so those kind of tracking things are good and i think there's there's like a bioterrorism act or something uh, it's on the yeah. Brewer Association website, but you're, so you're like required to have like traceability of all your beers too. So right, I, if your supplier has a recall and you don't find out until that beer's out in the market, you need to be able to to trace it from grain to glass, or you're just going to wind up pulling a lot more of your beer back if you have no way to identify it once it leaves your doors. Yeah. All right, um, and another. Good reason to keep writing stuff down um, and have good brew sheets that that make it easy to to record anything that happens is recipe deviations. I feel like this happens a lot of times, especially in smaller breweries. You're gonna just need to deviate from your initial planned recipe, typically not in a huge way, but you could have just realized that you were low on specialty malt while you're milling it in and you need to substitute another malt but you do want to be able to write that down on the brew sheet there could be a section um for your malt bill and your hop bill and you could just record what you milled in what you weighed out um and star anything that was different from the initial recipe maybe you're getting a delivery while you're boiling and the boil goes a little longer than normal uh, that could have some impact it can have a huge impact on the final beer um but it might be something desirable either way you want to write it down so that in a few weeks when you're tasting the beer and you're like hey this tastes really good but different what happened you can go back and look at that brew sheet and be like oh i see the boil was actually 75 minutes like maybe we should do another batch of like this and talk about replacing replacing that boil time 
So just keeping track of anything that deviates from what you expect, um, what your initial recipe is set out to be, and then if you have any problems or any off flavors, you can go back and, and see what might have caused that. Um, when we were starting with Lawson's Brewery with the new system, we made a lot of recipe adjustments. And I think the important thing that we did was we kept copies of all of our old recipes and maintained a, a change log for any recipes. So we were able to, um, to say that we, we upped our original gravity target for a beer from 15 to 16 and a half degrees Play-Doh in order to hit our final ABV target. Another instance would be like scaling a batch up. It works on paper most of the time, but you want to make sure that those those paper targets translate to your brew house target. So having different batch size recipes um, can be a huge help, and just noting noting how that process goes for the first few new brews. Yeah, and you know the thing with beer, it takes a week or two for to get to that final product or even longer that's a lager so you're just you're not going to remember what happened on brew day so having all this stuff written down and yeah if you're making a lot of changes to a lot of different beers that's going to be hard to keep track of even if you just you know brew like once a week or whatever um just get in the habit of of taking those detailed notes too so you know once you if you do start getting really busy really quickly or you know you bring someone else on you know just just be in the habit of writing all that stuff down and just write down what actually happened not what was supposed to happen because that's yeah. that's going to be a lot more helpful <laughs> yeah and then yeah for like troubleshooting you're going to want to have have all that stuff Right, and the main main things that um, you want to be collecting um, is is the things you're already collecting. Like you're already taking your gravities at at different points. You're already checking your mash pH. Your um, and you're recording different times or just noting times for how long your mash is. Um, how long your boil is and just being able to track that as you go through your brew day and then the, the amounts of stuff that you're adding and, and noting if there are any differences. Mash temp can have a huge impact on beer flavor and fermentability. So if you're getting inconsistent extracts, it could have something to do with your mash temperature and depending on your system that can be coming from a variety of places maybe you're starting to time your mash once you reach your mash temperature but you're not timing how long it takes you to get there in the first place um, so that could be a really important piece of information spend a week paying close attention to that and kind of graphing that time and see if it's consistent day in and day out and that could help troubleshoot that issue I know we've run into some conversion issues in the breweries I've worked at, and we weren't seeing conversion at certain mash temperatures, so we ended up having to do a bunch of trial mashes in the lab and decided to do a step mash, and we needed to, in the winter, we needed to do stuff differently than in the summer because all of our equipment was cold and it was taking too long for stuff to hit temperature and and things were just sitting around more than they should be. So just kind of 
taking notes and and looking at different things that might have an impact on on just your general efficiency in the brew house and the beer that you're producing out. Yeah, and keep in mind that um, you know sometimes things could be your equipment too. So you know your your results are only as accurate as the 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 instruments and the equipment that you use. So if you have, you know, your mash thermometer goes out of calibration or something, you could think you're mashing in at 155, but it's actually only 145. Um, and that can make a huge difference in your extract numbers. So make sure your equipment's calibrated. Make sure you're getting representative um, samples too. So, you know, maybe your thermometers, you know, it's probably on the side of your, your tank, your mash tun. Um, but maybe in the center, the temperature is, is really off and you're not fully converting. I, there was a story, I think it was like at Sierra Nevada, some, some big brewery where, you know, they used to always do the iodine starch conversion tests and they were always right. So the brewers just got out of the habit of doing it. And then they started having some extract issues. And I think it, I think it was a thermometer thing. So, you know, they weren't actually mashing in uh, where they thought they were. So by the time they noticed, you know, it was already, you know, a couple batches in. Whereas if they had kept doing that, that starch conversion test, they would have noticed it right away. So, you know, there is definitely, you know, you don't want to be spending a lot of time taking unnecessary information, but, you know... Uh, what am I trying to say? <laughs> um, sometimes if something is always the same, so, you know, a big thing with quality control is, you know, being proactive and, you know, making sure things are consistent and that they are running properly. So, you know, if you're getting something that's always the same, if your starch is always converting and, you know, that's a good thing. That means, you know, you don't want that to be out, you know, you, if you're always checking your, you know, your wort pH and it's always 4.6, um, you know, that's, that's good. That's what you want. It's that, that one time that it's, you know, 4.9, then you know, you have a problem because you have all this other data that you've been collecting. You know, if you just take it once and it's, you know, way, you don't know if it's off or not. Right. And you're not going to stop taking your pHs. You're not going to stop taking your gravities. Like right. if you have those measures in place, those are those are data points that you need to know. And just because everything is always coming up consistent doesn't mean you should stop doing those things. Yeah. And another thing on, you know, taking notes um, as you're brewing too, um, you know, great for the beers that you're making all the time, but also really good for, you know, those specialty beers that maybe you only make once a year. You know, maybe you've got a big imperial stout that you make at Christmas time or something. And, you know, maybe the first time you do it, you had a really poor runoff or something, you know, so you're like, oh, okay, next time I'm going to, you know, I'm going to add some more water and make it a little thinner, you know, whatever it is, you, you can go back to those notes, you know, you're not going to remember it next year. So you're, you don't have to start at zero every time. Right. All right. So moving out of the brew house a little bit and getting into gravity tracking in cellars, 
I'm sure this is something that everyone is already doing daily, but just taking those gravity readings and recording them um, on your seller's log um, just so that you know what it is from day one to day two to um, end of fermentation. A helpful thing to do with this data is to graph this information out um, by hours. So you have when you, you record the time you knocked out and you record the time you take your gravity readings every day um, and you plot those out on points by hours and then that helps you design a fermentation curve um, specific to each type of beer that you're making. Um, and every batch of beer should follow a relatively similar curve and if it doesn't you know you have a problem and you're able to compare this data with past brews and just have something a little more tangible to look at. This can also help pinpoint where to troubleshoot. So if you're getting inconsistent um, starting gravities, you want to look at your mash or boil, or maybe the rate of fermentation isn't the same, the amount of yeast that you're putting in isn't the same. This is one of those things you don't have to do every time, but if you do it for a few months until you get a good idea of what your curves look like consistently, um, then you're kind of just able to use that as a, as a template. Doing ours, I waited until we had um, between five and ten batches of beer, and I plotted them all out at once, and then was able to go to sellers with good fermentation curves that they can use when they're taking gravities. Another thing when you're taking gravity is you could take um, pH too. So your pH should also be following a similar curve. A lot of times towards the end of fermentation, the pH kind of dips and then it goes back up a little bit. And so that's kind of a good a signal like when you're towards the end of fermentation. Um, and then also, you know, just having that that data so you know if something's off. So you know, if you do have some sort of bacterial contamination that could sour your beer, that could affect the pH. And so, you know, these kind of things, the, the sooner you know that you have a problem, the better. So if, you know, you're, you're checking pHs and all of a sudden, you know, you get a 3.8, normally you're at a 4.4 or something, there's a red flag. But if you never, I mean, I guess 3.8 probably on the low end anyway. I don't know, maybe not. Yeah. But, you know, you don't know that it's a problem if, if it's the first time you're testing it. You need to, to have other data to right. to compare it to. You can't, what's that? You can't improve what you can't measure. Yeah. So if you, well, I don't know. That's not relevant, I guess. Yes. Is it? <laughs> I think it's relevant. Yeah, if you're, if you're not measuring it or if it's the first time you've brewed it, you... You have targets in your head, but... Right, you don't know if it's an improvement or not if you don't right. measure anything. Right. All right, so we've been talking about tracking all this data, but what are we doing with it? Obviously, you're going to have a drawer full of brewing logs, but you don't want to just put them in there and forget about them. We keep a filing cabinet full um, in folders by year, and it's just, it's good to have those physical copies to go back to. Because if you do enter them electronically, you're not going to enter all those little notes that you took um, of stuff that you, you thought was different. It might be helpful. 
Um, those are just going to be on the on the physical copies. There could, depending on how you track your data, you could have a, um, something to enter if you had to change your grain bill or hop bill. But I think a lot of that stuff just stays on the brew log and you go back and, and look through it. The more analytical data points like those gravities, pHs, temperatures, times, yields, um, and then your your seller's logs, your, your fermentation profiles, and your packaging data like uh, CO2, DO, um, final packaging specs for color, bitterness, um, whatever you're measuring in your lab, um, those are all going to be more recorded electronically. Uh, and a good way to do that is making a, a Google Docs file, a big Excel file. Um, some places have a shared server or um, use Microsoft Teams. Um, there's a lot of ways to make sure that this information is provided to everyone. Um, and when you're entering your brew logs, seller logs, packaging logs, you want to enter them in a way um, that makes sense for what you're looking for um, with your data. You can keep all of your brands in one big file if you're using unique batch numbers and then make that sortable so you can sort by different brands, um, different dates, different batch numbers, or you could keep um, a folder for each brand and, and enter it that way so that they're separate. Um, sometimes I find having the all the beer in one file is super helpful when you want to compare like a, like a brew week and just see how the yields were that week or you're looking for similar gravity beers and you want to compare how they're fermenting throughout time and it's just easy to use those filters and select for whatever you need. Um, sometimes that can get a little clunky so if you are designing fermentation profiles or doing anything with that data it's easier to export it but having it all in a central location is really helpful. Yeah, and sometimes you don't like actually know what you're looking for. You're just trying to find some sort of a connection on something. I mean, you have to be careful that you're not like making a connection that's that's not there. So, you know, I guess it's probably better to kind of go backwards and say, okay, I want to see if this is related and come up with a way to test that. But um, it can be helpful to yeah look for trends in, in data and, and see if things are are related. Um, all right. Anything else on organizing data? You know, I guess, you know, with the Google Docs and Excel and those kind of things, you can give certain people permissions, you know, to have some people can edit, some people can only read. Um, so that can be, that's helpful too. You don't want other people going in there and accidentally Delete. messing <laughs> up your, your data. I, I like with Google docs to how it will record the edits too. Oh yeah, that is helpful. Oh, and another thing that I think is helpful for um, organizing data, um, I think I touched on it before, is just keeping track like with your recipe folder, keeping those older recipes um, and making sure you have a change log so that if mm -hmm, your brewers yeah. are going through it and somebody made a change, you can see what date they did it and, and what they did and who did it. Um, which is helpful, especially if you're seeing a change in gravity or ABV or anything pretty critical like that. Yeah. All right. Beer library. So for those of you who package your beer, 
Uh, it's a good idea to hold on to a couple bottles, cans, for the shelf life of your beer. So, you know, if it's three, four months, hold on to it. We do all cold storage. You could do, when I was at Magic Hat, we did warm storage. So this is just, you know, if you have some customer complaints about a particular batch, you can go back to it and see if if you're also getting the same flavor. You know, maybe they're saying the beer is oxidized or something. You can go to yours and say, oh, crap, minus two. Or maybe it's not. And so, you know, then maybe you can go a little deeper onto the time that it was packaged. Maybe, you know, it was just something um, random on the canning line that particular time. Uh, maybe you have some notes somewhere that say that, you know, there was an issue. Maybe the transfer on this particular batch, the DO was high or something. If you start getting a lot of complaints for a particular batch, you know, then that's something to obviously look into. Yeah, and then you taste it, see if it's... Oh, I actually, one brewery, uh, a Magic Hat, we were... We would get, like, random complaints of beers being sour. So it was only, like, one beer in a six-pack. Or, you know, I, I think all of our QC beers were fine. But, yeah, we would just get these really, like, random complaints. And then we finally figured out that it was... Um, not of all, all of our bottles were being crimped tightly. So, you know, it was like random, you know, a bottle wasn't crimped tight enough. And so oxygen was getting in there and causing, you know, some sort of acetic acid bacteria. That is a really hard thing to track down, especially yeah. random cans like that. Yeah. I guess our library didn't necessarily help us in that case, but... <laughs> Still a good idea to have one. Um, and then you can test them later, too. You know, at the end of the shelf life, make sure that the beer has held up. That pH, ABV, CO2, all that's where it should be. Make sure, yeah, that it doesn't taste terrible at the end of those six yeah. months. Because, you know, you know some people are drinking your beers way past your your shelf life. So, and you could, all, you know, uh, well, I guess this is more on the consumer complaint tracking, but you know, if you notice that you're getting like oxidized complaints, like a month into, you know, packaging, but you have a four month shelf life, you should probably invest in some, some DO research. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And kind of getting a little more into consumer complaint tracking. I think we've mentioned this before, where you just you want to design um, a document or a spreadsheet in a way that allows you to track the types of complaints that you're getting. Um, so once you start distributing beer, you're inevitably going to have people tell you that they don't like something about your beer. A lot of them are pretty minor or isolated incidents, like, you know, like a few bottles not being crimped here and there. Mm -hmm. Or a defective can, not holding pressure, or just... Or I just, just don't like IPAs. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't like this beer. Um, it doesn't taste good. But you do have to treat them all seriously so that you can keep your customers. So you want to document it um, in a way where you know uh, the, the date that you received the complaint, 
um, where the person was from who complained. Like, just is it is it in your town? Is it in your state? Or is it out of state, out of region? What pathway did they use to issue their complaint? Are they calling you, emailing you, or reaching out on some social media site? Where were they when they had this bad beer? Did they buy it from a gas station? Or were they having dinner at a restaurant and got um, something they didn't like from a keg? And then um, just having a detailed description of their complaint so that you can dig into it a little bit more by going back into your beer archive. Um, if they're if they're saying they don't like IPAs, just run it through sensory and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. If they're saying that they think um, it's oxidized or there's an off flavor in it, you're going to want to maybe check your DOs on a few of your archived beers or put some of them through micro, check the pH, make sure that that's stable. Yeah, just make sure that you're documenting kind of every step of this investigation. Uh, I always find that there's a lot of people going into the consumer complaint log um, because there's a lot of different people to record complaints and then kind of deal with complaints. So you just want to make it easy to follow for whoever's going to be reaching out to that consumer and offering them um, whatever information that we've, we've been able to track down. If it's draft stuff too, that, you know, some of those things could just be draft lines, like, you know, so pay attention to, to where the complaints are coming from, you know, so if it's like one particular bar that doesn't do a good job of cleaning their tap lines, you know, maybe you don't really want to have your beer there anymore or something. And keep in mind too, that the consumer's language might not be the same as yours. So, you know, for like oxidized beers, you know, I don't know. I feel like we've got the stale cardboard. I don't know. We just say oxidized because we all know what oxidized beer tastes like, but a consumer is not necessarily going to know that that's what it is. And so they might be describing it differently. Very good point. Um, and then, yeah, always follow up with the customer, um, with the results of your investigation too. So, you know, cause a long way I think for, um, you know, even if, their complaint isn't, I don't want to say not valid, but that's kind of what I want to say. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, just, you know, say like, oh, we tasted this beer from our library, you know, like tell them that you like actually like doing something and, and you do actually care because you do because you want them to keep buying your beers. And, you know, customers seem to be, you know, so when there are recalls, you know, what is it? The, uh, the cover up is worse than the crime, you know? So if you're just trying to like, people are, are more receptive when companies are honest and open about issues or, or anything like that, that comes up. Very true. Um, yeah. And I could highlight some issues. Did I don't remember. Did we already mention this? So like, if you know, you're noticing oxidized complaints after only a couple of weeks, did I just say this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> DO is important, is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> Just get a DO meter. And so, this we touched on date codes earlier, but this is, you know, huge for when you are getting consumer complaints. So, not only do you want date codes, they also need to be legible if somebody's just complaining about their stout and they're like, oh, I don't know 
which one, you know, maybe it's a year old beer and obviously it's, you know, they should be complaining about it because it's not good anymore, but you're not going to know, you know, what batch that came from, if that is a fresh beer or if it's a really old one. Um, and if it is a serious issue, if you do have some sort of a contamination, you know, you're going to want to, you're not going to want to, you know, recall all of your, your Pilsners or, you know, whatever brand it is when you could only be recalling one particular batch. Right. Yeah. I don't think I have anything else. All right. Yeah. So just write shit down. <laughs> do it yeah all right talk to you guys later i think next next week next episode i don't know how often we're doing this um we're gonna talk about cell counting thank you for listening to check your beer send us an email at checkyourbeer at gmail.com for any questions or episode suggestions uh check out our show notes for what we talk about on each episode And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll catch you next time on Check Your Beer. Thanks for listening.